Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So following Joe Biden's speech last night at the Democratic National Convention, uh, Donna Brazil said on Fox News, quote, that was a good sermon. Let the church say amen. So that gives me pause um, anytime that any um, anything that is characterized as a sermon and is not a sermon. I think we ought to call it out as Christians. I think we ought to. We ought to recognize um, what a sermon is and what it is not, and we ought not use that word casually in our cultural conversations. However, there's no question that uh, the speech was designed and delivered in such a way to to catch the attention of people of faith. Um, There's no question that characterizing oneself as an ally of the light, uh, being a person who is shining light into darkness or overcoming, all of that language is designed to prick uh, the ears and hearts and minds of people of faith. No question about it. And so let's recognize political speech for what it is. Um, I would certainly describe last night's speech by uh, the now Democratic nominee for the presidency of the United States. I would describe it as a kind of civic sermon, um, probably the speech of Joe Biden's life. And so giving credit where credit is due, uh, you know, the guy delivered. He talked about character and values, hope, love, trust, unity, faith, overcoming darkness with light. He's casting himself as an ally of the light, obviously over and against an opponent uh, whom he is characterizing as, well, pretty dark. Here's a quote from the speech. Biden says, love is more powerful than hate. Absolutely true. Hope is more powerful than fear. Absolutely true. Light is more powerful than dark. Absolutely true. This is our moment, he says. This is our mission. Okay, so um, as people of love and hope and light and mission, missional people, you can you can see how um, the the speech is designed to ring the bells of people of faith who are listening and watching. So just recognize that it is also imperative that we keep in mind this is a speech accepting the nomination of a party whose platform is comprised of a number of planks that Christians in good conscience cannot support. So this is part of the challenge that we always face when we look at an an individual who is the candidate for the office, but who is the candidate uh, representing the platform of a party? Same challenges uh, are faced on the other side of the aisle. So uh, this is actually not a, a particularly partisan reminder um, there, there is a candidate for the office. The, the candidate shapes the party if and when he, he or she is elected. Um, and we have certainly seen that happen in the, current, um, in the current administration. The candidate who was elected has certainly shaped the party. But I also think that it's important to recognize that in this case, Joe Biden is a party man. And so um, we just need to recognize that, right? Really good speech, really good speech writers. I think that those who wrote it and the one who delivered it absolutely understand that American voters 
uh, needed and wanted uh, to hear and experience something hopeful and something positive in the midst of so many negative forces in play right now. Uh, This was the Dems week. Next week will be uh, the Republicans week. We will see how the RNC responds with a virtual convention next week. You know, frankly, you got to give credit where credit is due. The Democrats pulled off this week something that was uh, uh, pretty just extraordinary on the face of it in terms of the first virtual convention ever. Yes, there are lots of stones that we could throw. Um, but, you know, let, let's let's allow their week to be their week, and um, we will turn our attention next week to others who will take uh, the stage culturally. All right, Matt Hawkins up next, public theologian, former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church, uh, served in Washington, D.C. He and I are going to talk about an ongoing conversation that we're having in the culture about freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, and whether or not... It actually applies in uh, in all directions. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. And joining me now, Matt Hawkins. You can find him. At MatthewTHawkins.com. You can also find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Matt, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be back. Good morning. Okay, so a couple of stories to talk with you about today, both on the Mm -hmm. religious liberty or religious freedom front. The first is um, this this, uh, opinion piece by Jack Phillips, who those who are listening will remember as the famed, now famed, uh, cake baker in Colorado who um, was asked to bake a cake, the message of which was contrary to his um, sincerely held religious beliefs. It is a case that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, And so Jack is now saying in this piece, um, in defense of a woman named April, who is a lesbian cake baker, she's a lesbian who bakes cakes, Uh, He is a Christian who bakes cakes. This may be the best way to characterize this. He says this, uh, April has received public praise for her decision to abide by her conscience. Um, This was in an interview that she had with the Today Show. Um, And and he says in another place, both April and I were asked to create a cake that were against our conscience. We looked for other ways to serve the customer without compromising our beliefs. You know, and in reality, you know, culture responded one way to Jack and another way to April. Talk with us about what's going on here. Yeah, I think uh, it's really good to see Jack's op-ed um, in Newsweek uh, this week. And I'm, you know, good on Newsweek for publishing it. And uh, I think it's a a good example of someone like Jack. Um, you know, this is a little, this is a clever retort, basically, to the culture and how he was treated. And the um, we uh, sorry, we uh, have a little noise in the background okay. here. Um, the uh, so like like you remember, uh, Jack's name was dragged through the cultural mud here in the U.S. when his uh, court case was proceeding to the Supreme Court. Ultimately, he won. Uh, that's a good a good decision for Jack, and it's a good decision we believe for all Americans. Uh, when I was working with the RLC, I believe we published an amicus brief on his behalf, and uh, you know we uh, especially in something like the you know creative arts industry. Uh, we want 
people to be able to express themselves. Uh, our First Amendment freedoms are guaranteed by this country. Uh, and we as Christians recognize that, um, you know, a government often is not Lord of the is not our, the Lord of our uh, conscience and uh, people ought to be free. Uh, so provided they're not um, uh, hurting other people to live their lives according to their uh, biblically inspired uh, consciences or, uh, you know, even other religious uh, inspired by other religions uh, and beliefs. And uh, so now you have a situation where um, a, a lesbian cake baker uh, was asked to bake a cake contrary, um, expressing a belief contrary to April's own uh, beliefs, and she gets praise for it. And I think, uh, con you know, a coverage on the Today Show praising her for uh, utilizing her conscience to uh, um, to decline to bake a cake, I believe, in support or uh, is baking a cake, um, uh, expressing discontent and, and rejecting same-sex marriage. And she said no. And so she gets lauded uh, for her position. And Jack got a lawsuit and uh, had to fight all the way to the Supreme Court, which he thankfully won. Uh, I think Jack's op-ed here uh, is really sharp. Uh, he expresses support for April. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he's kind of pointing out the hypocrisy of a lot of the mainstream media and the culture between how he, he, they treat him and, uh, how they treat her, um, and while defending her own rights. Uh, and he also points out that some of the, some of the stuff, uh, you know, since his court case started, he was asked uh, multiple times by an attorney to add, to bake other cakes that uh, conflicted with his conscience as kind of a gotcha. They're kind of set setups, and he suspects April may be a victim of a, an attempted setup here too. Um, nevertheless, I think it's a pretty clever way uh, to. I think it's helpful um, for um, our fight for religious freedom or the protection of religious freedom in the long term to have these kind of little cultural moments that are now kind of in the public record. Right. So if we have another lawsuit, uh, against someone like Jack, um, we can look, we can now point, uh, to the today show and Newsweek, um, and other, other places where they have lauded, um, April for, uh, standing by her conscience. I think it's a healthy thing. Uh, it's, it's frustrating. Uh, but I think this is an opportunity to kind of graciously point out um, some, some hypocrisy. Um, and Jack's pretty gracious about it in, in his op-ed. Uh, you don't need to throw too many elbows. Um, I think the, the facts kind of speak for themselves when you highlight each of their individual cases and how they've been, um, how they've been uh, treated very, very differently. So when we talk about um, equitable treatment, right, under the law um, or even equitable treatment in, um, in the way that we – characterize and uh, and treat one another in public spaces. When we come back from a very brief break, I'd like to talk about the treatment that some um, Muslim detainees, so detainees who happen to be Muslim, maybe I should phrase it that way, um, mm -hmm. people yeah. who are uh, being de detained um, by immigration uh, in the United States of America um, who are Muslim and um, who, you know, really whose right to follow their own religious conscience is certainly being infringed upon uh, in terms of the, the food they are being provided and or denied. Yeah. So uh, we want to talk about that case up next with Matt Hawkins. He and I will take a very brief break and we'll be right back. Thanks.
Continue my conversation with Matt Hawkins. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. Um, all right. So as we enter into this next conversation, Matt, remind us about uh, about your your Crossing Faiths podcast. Sure. Appreciate that. Crossing Faiths podcast available wherever you uh, find uh, podcasts, uh, including now we've gone to video on YouTube and uh, we're pretty easy to find there. Um, I, as an evangelical Christian, co-host it with my Ismaili Muslim friend, John Pinna, and uh, we talk religion and politics. We think it's uh, talking a uh, Christian and a Muslim, particularly this day and age, talking religion and politics is a relatively unique shtick. So we talk about that and uh, we kind of riff on some headlines sometimes. Other times we bring on um, some public policy experts that we've uh, known for several years. Um, our, our most recent guest uh, was Andrew Bennett, who you will remember as the Canada's first and to date only uh, religious freedom ambassador um, under Harper's uh, Prime Minister Harper's administration. Uh, and uh, Andrew is a um, he's a, a an ordained deacon in the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. Uh, so we had some interesting conversations between the th- three of us uh, related to freedom of conscience um, and global religious freedom, and also uh, kind of trying to, uh, as American Protestants, kind of a little better understanding about what uh, his Greek Orthodox um, or Ukrainian Greek Orthodox uh, uh, tradition looks like. Um, so that's the most recent one. We have a lot of fun on that program. So that's a Crossing Faiths podcast, and you guys should check that out. All right, so this caught my attention. Uh, I'm sure that you are teed up to talk about it um, on your on your program at some point. Um, yeah. We have these detainees uh, who are Muslim. They are in an, an immigration detention facility in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and for months now, they have been, at least this is what the reporting says, they have been forced to choose between eating pork, which is contrary to their religious conscience, or to eat expired um, halal, you know, food that is halal. So talk with us about what's going on here and whether or not you think we as a country can, you know, probably do better than this. Yeah, I, I would I, I would hope that we uh, can do better than this. As, as you mentioned, it's an ICE, um, uh, it's an immigration uh, facility and uh, people are detained. And um, these folks, Which some is of these a folks super have nice to be way puzzled. of saying they're basically in jail. Yeah, they're they're in jail. Um, I mean, they can't uh, leave. Detained, it's, yeah. They, yeah, they can't leave. Um, but distinct from uh, someone who has been act- convicted of a crime, right? So uh, these we're going to recognize that uh, the particular legal status of these folks is uh, in in some some limbo here uh, when they're when they're detainees, um, but they're not convicts, right? So that's a right. th- that's a little bit of a distinction too. But even convicts. Uh, especially here in the United States of America, um, have the right uh, to be treated like human beings. And in America, at least, uh, we believe that human beings uh, still ought to be treated with dignity. Um, and we make certain accommodations for religious belief, even in the context of prisons and certainly federal prisons. And uh, because we have uh, books, uh, laws in the books, um, like uh, aside from the First Amendment religious freedom protections, we have specific um, uh, instances of religious freedom codified into statutes very, that are very specific, including uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act and uh, a more fun, a, a, even worse uh, acronym, RELUPA, which is Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, um, which specifically uh, gives guidelines for uh, religious accommodations related to institutionalized persons, which includes 
prisoners. And so you here you have a federal detention facility um, really discriminating against um, some of their detainees here. And as you mentioned, um, there's now significant evidence um, and uh, some attorneys have gotten involved uh, that since this is not just since the pandemic, this is since 2017, uh, two years now, two or three years now, um, that Muslim detainees have been basically forced to either choose between uh, halal meals that have been expired uh, and in some cases have made people sick or eat pork. And, you know, for for Christians, New Testament Christians, right, um, we sometimes can't appreciate um, religious dietary restrictions, right? We, we don't uh, really believe um, many Christian sects. I think maybe the majority, certainly uh, in Protestant circles, we don't uh, feel like we have to abide by very strict um, dietary right. routines. He, at, Peter had the dream. Faith, the, right? sheet came, the sheet came down. Right. There were all kinds of foods upon it, those that he had traditionally understood to have been uh, uh, clean and unclean all mixed together. You know, the, the, the right. Lord says, take and eat. It happens three times. He has this experience of of all food being made clean or, you know, being judged to be clean. Mm-hmm. Um, we also then later have, you know, Paul commenting on um, food sacrifice to idols. I mean, the reality is it doesn't really matter because it's, right. it, that's not a real thing. However, if it's a stumbling block for someone, Paul says, you know, the more gracious, the, the gracious thing to do, the charitable thing to do is to not do something that's going to lead someone else into, um, into sin yeah. or into temptation to sin. And so there's a charitable way to approach this. Um, again, I think, you know, very quickly recognizing that America is not a Christian nation. America is a nation right. of religious freedom. And these are people who are seeking to practice a freedom of religion. And for those of you who are going to at me and say, well, these are not American citizens. These are people who are um, are in the country being you know, detained by ICE because they are actually not Americans. The United States Constitution extends to everybody who whose whose feet land on our soil. OK, and so. Yeah. Uh, dry feet, you know, your dry land, your, your feet, your feet arrive on our on our soil. The U.S. Constitution extends to you as well. Do I have that about right? Yeah, yeah, um, and and certainly in these uh, certainly these situations where um, they're in federal custody, uh, and our we're you know federal law requires uh, law enforcement in particular to abide by federal law, uh, regardless of who you are. And, uh, you know, they're you might say they're not American citizens. They're being, you know, being processed or you know, people are being evaluated who they are, why they're here. Um, but nevertheless, uh, we we don't get to treat them less than human and we don't get to treat Amen. them less than uh, how we expect American prisoners abroad to be treated. Uh, the United States frequently uh, there's actually an entire department. I'm going to. I think it's citizen services or something. I'm blanking on the full name. Uh, but the American State Department has, uh, we used to interact with them a little bit when I was at the ERLC. They have a responsibility for checking, uh, making sure that American citizens who are detained abroad or arrested or jailed and whatever you want to call it, uh, that they are treated with the same kind of human rights and, and respect uh, and dignity uh, that we expect that we treat people here. Um, in the U.S. And so if you're a traveling American uh, and, you, uh, and and breach and find yourself in a, um, a legal situation where you're uh, arrested, um, whether it's the U.K. or China, um, 
the uh, the State Department has people who are commissioned. Their job is to check in on you to make sure you have appropriate food and water, to make sure you have appropriate uh, medical care. And so we do that as a matter of policy um, for Americans traveling abroad. Uh, and we, we certainly have no excuse to treat people differently when they're on our soil, even uh, when they are detained. Um, and reading some of the details of these, of these cases, um, these folks have been trying to complain about this for a long time. And you get reports of uh, detained off, de, um, ICE officers basically ignoring written requests and basically not picking up the paper request. And then when they have the opportunity to complain on a tablet form, those requests were um, basically ignored for, for many months. Um, this is stuff that was happening daily uh, and weekly um, for these de- detainees. This is just not acceptable. We can do better. We can do better than um, this. And I think, no question about you know, that. we can do a whole lot better than this. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, whatever your thoughts on immigration policy, this has nothing to do with that. This is how, how uh, federal uh, law enforcement people are treating human beings in their care. Um, and this is really, really inconsistent with American principles and American law. And so I'm confident that um, these det- detainees um, will succeed uh, should this go to should this go to court. Um, but clearly there's some need for reform uh, in in the ICE situation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Hey, Matt, you and I got to leave it right there. That's Matthew Hawkins. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Check out his podcast, Crossing Faiths. We'll be right back. All right, would it surprise you that on a college campus, okay, maybe this is not going to surprise you, but would it surprise you, would there have been a time that it would have surprised you that on a college campus in the United States of America, a professor would actually print on their syllabus um, not only their own personal political position, but a restriction upon every student in the class that if they don't voice um, an approval of, let's say, Black Lives Matter, or if they would go so far as to criticize Black Lives Matter or criticize abortion, um, that they um, that that'd be it. They'd be done. That's they're they're out. Uh, it happened at Iowa State. Now that professor is now being forced to change the syllabus. But it's a conversation worth having, and we're going to have it with Dan DeWitt. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, let me just say, if you can hear me right now and you're in Hutchinson, Minnesota, and you just happen to be scrolling through your FM dial, and at 90.9 FM, you said, hey, Who's that girl? What's she talking about? Well, my name's Carmen LeBurge. You are listening for the first day to the Faith Radio Network, which is now broadcasting at 90.9 FM in Hutchinson, Minnesota. So good morning, Hutchinson. Uh, we went on the air uh, in your community, um, I don't know, like a day ago, maybe A couple now? of days ago, actually, yeah. A couple of days ago. Used to be a, uh, a refuge radio signal. It's been dark for a while, but the light's back on. Uh, and so we uh, we want to welcome you if you're in Hutchinson. Hey, if you're listening in the Hutchinson um, listening area and you happen to be listening on AM 900, you're going to get a whole lot better signal if you pop over to 90.9 FM. Do I have that technically correct, Paul? That is technically correct. And that'll be beneficial during the nighttime hours because now you can listen to Faith Radio at night because we weren't getting there in the night. 
on AM Who's listening at night? I don't know. What? Just, you know, people are tuning in at 6 a.m. A lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. What are you talking about? So, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, so Hutchinson, good morning. Oh, and if you're listening anywhere else in the world and you have people on your Christmas card list who, li- who live in Hutchinson, Minnesota, you should tell them. You could be a radio missionary this morning. You could call all your friends in Hutchinson, Minnesota and say, hey, you can listen now to Mornings with Carmen and every other great thing that Faith Radio is offering. Tune in at 90.9 FM. The radio signal is growing, but you can listen live everywhere at MyFaithRadio.com or obviously via the Faith Radio app. We'll be right back. Were your parents strict? I grew up in a military-style home, but I don't recommend it for most families today. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When moms and dads are strict and in control, many kids are well-behaved, yet feel a deep-seated contempt for their parents. If provoked, through little things like isolation, authoritarian discipline, and over-the-top sternness, kids will act out. I've seen it so many times. A parent imposes limitations, maybe dad is proving how much he's in control, then the son eventually blows up just to show he's in control. If you become a die-hard authoritarian, you could be in the danger zone. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Dan DeWitt, he is a professor at Cedarville University. You can check out what he's writing at theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Good morning. It's good to be back, Carmen. Okay, I am not an English professor. I'm not a professor of any kind. I'm, I, I probably wasn't a very good English student, but tell me if this, sentence is, if this sentence is even constructed correctly. Any instances of othering that you participate in intentionally— Parent racism, sexism, ableism, homophobia, sorophobia, transphobia, classism, mocking of mental health issues, body shaming, etc. End parent in class are grounds for dismissal from the classroom. I don't even think it's a. I don't even think for an English professor it's a well constructed sentence, let alone an appropriate uh, criteria to be published on a University of Iowa or anywhere else syllabus um, as a giant warning. Uh, to a, that applies not only to speech in class, but to papers and projects. What is going on here? Well, you know, as as a professor, I just gave my syllabi, you know, the um, plural for syllabus. I just gave my syllabi out this week to my classes. And that syllabus is a, a working contract to some degree. I mean, often we remind people this isn't, you know, this is subject to change, but it tells students what they can expect in class. Usually they're pretty humdrum. You know, here's the books you're going to read. Here's the projects. Here's how it'll be graded. And she included in that this statement that you really are not allowed to disagree with her. And on the one hand, we want to say as Christians, we certainly uphold and affirm the value that we don't want people Um, saying things that are unnecessarily harmful to others, like we shouldn't be mean to someone just because they have a different viewpoint. But to go so far as to state in your syllabus that you cannot disagree, (laughs) that essentially what is intended here is I I don't want to hear an argument that would be against any of these things that she describes as othering, Um, that's a violation of their 
um, freedom of speech. And I don't know why you would want to do a college class in which you don't want anyone to disagree with you. That's part of the education process. Well, you think that's part of the education process. I think part of my concern here, um, and we should note that after reviewing the issue with the faculty member, the um, uh, Iowa State University um, has had this faculty member change the syllabus. So the syllabus no longer has this warning on it. And that this professor is being provided, quote, additional information regarding the First Amendment policies of the university. So uh, Professor Clark is getting some schooling of her own on the First Amendment. I, I guess my concern, Dan, is just because she takes it off the syllabus doesn't mean that it's been rooted out of her heart and mind. Um, she does not intend to entertain any arguments against gay marriage, abortion, Black Lives Matter, etc. Who knows what's covered in that? Um, she notes in the syllabus she takes this very seriously. I, I just... Tell me about um, how a student, let's just imagine, let's just imagine for a moment, there's an evangelical Christian first-year student um, at Iowa State University, and they happen to be enrolled in this particular English class. They know this is what the syllabus once said. Mm -hmm. um, do they just avoid the, these, these subject matter areas altogether, um, I mean, as a way of protecting themselves, or is there is there a legitimate way for Christians in these environments to express their position, let's say on abortion specifically, um, and mm -hmm. to do so in a way that uh, that there ought to be um, a genuine dialogue, a genuine um, exchange of ideas at the university level? I thought that's what the university level was all about. Well, that that's an excellent point. I mean, I, the. The challenge here is that the statement is really just the tip of the iceberg. And so if you remove the tip of the iceberg, the danger is still there. And so for a lot of professors, it's never going to bubble up to the point where they're so kind of um, brazen to state it in the syllabus. I don't want you to disagree on these topics and I will not tolerate it. And it's grounds for dismissal. Um, now that the tip of the iceberg is gone in terms of the statement in the syllabus, I would imagine, of course, I don't know this professor, but I would imagine um, there's still going to be a bias against other perspectives. Um, I have one student who I know went to a school in a secular school in Chicago. The professor literally had everyone stand up and said, um, I'm going to state a position and everybody who agrees with it, go to that side of the classroom everyone who disagrees go to the other side. And he began with God exists. And this student was the only one in the class who believed in God and had to walk to the other side of the classroom and stand alone. And the professor wow. went through a, a number of other topics. And over and over again, the student was standing alone. Um, that doesn't happen all the time, right? But like that does give you an example that often um, what we are led to believe is that secular, liberal, progressive are more open-minded, and then it's the Christians who are closed-minded. And sadly, we see over and over again that there is an orthodoxy, a rigid orthodoxy within secular institutions, often by professors like this, that students at least need to be aware of. And my encouragement to say it really succinctly um, would be for students to do their best to be the best and most faithful student in that class, and to find ways to articulate their views in the most loving way possible, and then just leave the results in God's hands. I mean, ultimately, if someone wants to penalize them for doing good scholarship but disagreeing, there's there's nothing you could do about that as a student in that moment. There may be some things afterwards you could do, and you interview people all the time who are involved in cases like this to help students 
um, have resources. Absolutely. And, um, and hey, let me just highlight a conversation that I had recently with Valerie Bell. Um, she's the CEO of Awana, um, and she's working on, I'm just going to call it this like comprehensive project called Resilient Disciples. And so let me just remind our listeners, you can check it out at resilientdisciples.com. Dan, it's probably the most exciting thing that I think is going on out there um, in terms of a comprehensive approach of preparing Christian kids, kids who are in church as kids, um, actually preparing them for the kinds of things that we're talking about uh, in the culture into which they are going to emerge as adults. So let me, you guys should check it out, resilientdisciples.com. Dan uh, DeWitt and I will be right back. We're going to talk about a piece he has posted at theolatte.com. Uh, how do we explain talking, talking donkeys and burning bushes? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, for those of you who are feverishly searching for the news item related to the Iowa State professor who has now been forced to change the syllabus, banning students from criticizing uh, abortion, Black Lives Matter, gay marriage, and other things, you can find the link in the Weekend Worldview Reader, which Dan has very dutifully posted at theolatte.com. So in that Weekend Worldview Reader, you're also going to find the link to the next thing that we're going to talk about, which is Dan's piece, How Do We Explain Talking Donkeys and Burning Bushes? Dan DeWitt. Well, so this article, this is our first week back. I'm in the classroom, so I reposted a couple older articles, and this is one of them that I originally posted at the Gospel Coalition that's actually in response to a email they received, and they have permission to repost the, the question that they had received. They changed the name, but they asked me to write a response to the person's real question, and the question was, I want to believe the Bible, but there's parts of it that just feel like they're straight out of a fairy tale. Um, you have a talking serpent, a special tree, a burning bush, a talking donkey. Um, Samson slays a thousand men with the jaw of a donkey. It just, it feels like A virgin something. birth. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so how do we, how, I want to believe it, but it just seems so outlandish. And so I just responded to that person's question with a few different categories. And the first was sometimes... First of all, this question's common, and I want to normalize it. Every Christian at some point struggles with, our world doesn't seem to operate like the world in the Bible we often read about. We don't see burning bushes. <laughs> My dog has never talked to me, let alone a donkey, right? And so, but one of the things I try to point out is that sometimes this does demonstrate that we have a low view of God. So if, if God is able to speak and a, an entire cosmos come into existence, which Every Christian believes. If God can do that, then certainly he could do the lesser thing, like speak through the mouth of a donkey. So I'm writing down <clears throat> some notes. Um, it would seem that uh, the most unbelievable thing is also uh, the basis upon which my my faith rests, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the yeah. dead. I mean, That's... right? Yeah. And again, I like the greater to lesser argument would be a formal way to call this kind of argument, which is to say, if God could do this, then mm -hmm. he could do that. And so, for example, years ago, I was fishing with my uncle, who at that time was a, a, a skeptic. He's now a believer, um, praise God. Um, but he asked me, he looked at me, he said, now, Danny, do you believe a fish swallowed a guy? 
and a few days later spit him up on dry land. Like, how can you believe that? And my response was, you know, Uncle Kevin, I believe God spoke and the world came into existence. I believe that. So the fact that a fish, a large fish could swallow a man, preserve his life um, in a very, not very pleasant way, but preserve his life and then belch him up onto dry land. I don't struggle with that because God could do the greater thing. If God could create the world, can he raise his son from the dead? Of course he can. And when I, when you see it in that kind of perspective, I find that to be really, really helpful. Um, sometimes what, what happens is these questions demonstrate, not only do we have a lower view of God, that we forget that we actually believe even bigger things about God. You know, when, when it comes to the burning bush, that's really not a big deal. You believe that God created the world. Um, but it also shows that we have a higher view of science. So we've been so influenced by our, our modern day that we think that if we can't give the scientific kind of appraisal of it, um, assessment of it, that it can't be true. But we have all kinds of values that science can't touch. The fact that we care about beauty and truth are things that science can't give a basis for. So we have to keep these things in balance. And for me, I want to encourage people, your faith rests on the fact, as Francis Schaeffer said, he is there and he is not silent. And that changes everything. So um, a tame, uh, well, a, we we fail when we have a low view of God. I mean, that that's one of the causes of our uh, inability, maybe, to um, to believe in the reality of miracles, both those attested yeah. to in Scripture, but those that happen today. Um, our high view of secular science, or frankly, our, our naturalistic worldview. Yeah. And then you have the tame view of the world. Talk about that. Well— Sometimes we, we, we think all these things are—things in the Bible just seem so spectacular, and we forget that our world's really weird. And so um, if, you, if you take a look out of your window and see just common things like a, caterp- a caterpillar who will literally digest itself, turn into a mushy soup-like liquid that then grows into a colorful being capable of flight, look at how absurd that seems— and then take a step back and say, God's created the world in such a powerful, beautiful way um, that these things that are going on in the Bible shouldn't surprise us with a creative, all-powerful God. Um, and then, um, and again, I'm I'm reading here from How Do We Explain Talking Donkeys and Burning Bushes? It's posted at theolatte.com. Dan DeWitt is my guest, uh, also the author of this piece. Um, talk about the lofty view of ourselves. Well, a lot of times, I think when we ask questions about the Bible, again, it's okay to have doubts and it's okay to have questions. And unlike the professor we mentioned earlier, pastors and Christian leaders and parents shouldn't kind of post, you know, a a disclaimer, you cannot disagree with me or ask questions. But sometimes what we have to, to be honest enough in terms of our reflection on our own questions and why we ask them is sometimes we come to the Bible with a cynical attitude or as a skeptic, because there are moral parts of it that we simply don't want to follow. And so I I listed that last in this piece because I don't want to make someone feel bad for asking the question. But I do think anytime we question the Bible, we should look at our heart and say, is there an unbelieving heart that I'm bringing to this passage that's making it difficult for me to believe? And if we're honest, it's easier to disregard the moral teachings of the Bible as I feed my doubt about some of the other historical statements in the Bible. So sometimes our questions not only reveal a a lower view of God, 
a high view of science, but also reveals sometimes a high view of how we're protecting our own moral autonomy. I want to live this way, and if the Bible's entirely true, it makes demands on my life. All right. Sometimes uh, what we believe in sounds like a fairy tale, but it is the one true fairy tale. I'll leave that for you to read um, at theolatte.com in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader in a piece entitled, How Do We Explain Talking Donkeys and Burning Bushes? Dan DeWitt, thank you so much as always for joining us. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. All right, friends, we'll be right back. All right, do you love the stories that start out once upon a time and end with happily ever after? I want you to spend a little time today considering the scope of Scripture and the redemptive narrative, which is a once upon a time conversation uh, about God, who at what we understand to be the very beginning of time, spoke all that we know into reality, and that God promises through this redemptive arc uh, in the course of human history, a he promises a happily ever after. And so uh, spend some time today considering that, thinking about that, mulling on that, and all of the fairy tale like things that happen along the way in the story that we know so well in the scope of Scripture. Um, and in your own life experience, there was a once upon a time. And if you are in Christ, there will be a happily ever after. What you do. Be mindful of that. Stay focused on the hope today. Be encouraged. You are beloved of God, made in his image, redeemed in his son, endowed with his spirit. You have an inheritance that is beyond imagining. And yes, in Christ, we're going to live forever and ever, happily ever after. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.